So thank you all for coming to Cock Talk. He has trouble counting change with the with the with the hands thing. Wait, wait, stop. Sorry. Yes, but I don't yeah. think that Dana Carvey's movie um, coming out at that same time was really that big a problem for our country. I still don't know why you're making such a big deal about September 11th, 2001. I mean, I fucking hate you. Well, you know, they don't necessarily need to be anathema, but they are definitely on different ends of the spectrum. Oh boy, how? See, I have every, a genetic predisposition every, against redheads, so because yeah, because you are one, right? Yeah, combustion. Yeah, we've yeah. heard it before. Yep. The only time I change the setting so, is when so, I take the okay. uh, hair trimmer down to the nether regions. Like that's the only time. Other than that, it's all just a two. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I just don't How about you all? I'm joking. I use Veep. After the four Gospels, what's the next book of the Bible? Acts. Okay. And after that, it's Romans, isn't it? I'm drunk. Um, yeah, Romans. Okay, yeah. Yes. Okay. And if you look at the 15th chapter of Romans, okay, uh, you will find that it actually mentions uh, the ability to arm yourself. That's why it's AR-15. Thank you. Checkmate atheists. And, and anytime there's action in the ring, Scott Hall is taking all the bumps because Kevin Nash kind of sucks as a worker. A geek history of time. Where we connect nerdery to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I'm a world history and English teacher here in Northern California. And um, earlier this evening, um, we showed uh, The Empire Strikes Back to my son for the first time. Um, we saw episode four, I think it was last weekend. Um, and I could not get out of my head uh, the revelation that I that I had not I had not known previously, but the the uh, revelation that you provided to me um, last week that uh, the remaster of those films was made partly <laughs> uh, in order to uh, screw George Lucas's ex-wife <laughs> out of any more money. Uh, out of out of out of the franchise uh, or the yeah of the out of the franchise um, and and so I was watching the movie and and like a part of me was you know a little kid again and and watching the movie and, and being completely absorbed in it but every so often when when I could tell oh right this is George masturbating on the screen again with all of his CGI shit because he could do it now I, I, number one, I was keenly aware of all of it. And number two, every time it happened, I thought, yep. And there goes, there goes ex-wife's cut of the, cut of the profits. Like, there we go. Um, I'm, I'm not going to say it ruined it for me because it didn't, but, but it was certainly, it was certainly a new aspect to, to viewing the film. Um, and the other thing that struck me was uh it was just a reminder that you know uh george wrote a hell of a lot better material when he had people script doctoring for him and he was still in a position where people said no like wow 
And then, and then the very last thought, uh, in, in the, uh, Luke, uh, prowling around on, on, uh, Bespin, uh, moments, uh, it was really eerie how I was looking at him going, oh my God, everybody on the internet is right. They ought to cast Sebastian Stan to play young Luke because mm-hmm. holy crap. So anyway, that was, that was everything that was going through my head earlier this evening while watching that movie. Um, how about you? What have you had going on? Well, I'm Damien Harmony. I'm a Latin teacher and a a U.S. history teacher up here at the high school level in Northern California. I got to ask, you buried the lead. Did you all keep um, the Seder proper in that you hid the the surprise ending of Empire 5 or Empire Strikes Back from your son this whole time? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Did you hide the bread from the wine? Yeah. Okay. Yes. So how did he react to the revelation that, in fact... I am your father. He, the first, now we actually had to rewind for him to totally catch the line (laughs) because, um, he's, he's five and, uh, may or may not have, uh, you know, attention, uh, issues. We, we haven't quite figured that out yet for sure. Okay. But he was, he, he turned around as, as right as Luke's, Luke's hand gets cut off. Mm-hmm. And and Vader is is you know given the whole speech right, and he turned around, and he was asking me I don't even remember what the question was he was oh he was asking me is is he gonna get his hand back, mm. and in that moment he missed I am your father oh my god, and so we had to pause oh, the movie and go back by like a minute worst. and a half and I was like 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 oh my god. Dude, so we, we paused the movie and we went back and was like, okay, you need to catch this. And then he caught it and his and his eyes got big and he looked at me and and this is this is so my kid. This is so my kid. He looked at me and he said, Is his dad mad at him? <laughs> and there was a small part of my heart that broke. Um but but mostly I just explained no. Um, his, his dad is trying to get him to join him. Yeah. Yeah. His, his, his dad turns out to be the bad guy. And that's what, that's part of why he's so upset right now. The bad guy turns out to be his dad. Yeah. Well, yeah. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Kind of. Yeah. So yeah, that it was, it was, it was a moment there. I wonder if, if that reveal is not unlike the challenger where everybody thinks that they saw it explode in class. But in fact, statistically, that's impossible. And yeah. the the real deal is more like like one one hundredth of the people who claim it actually did get to yeah. watch it explode in class. Uh, but everybody remembers watching the news reports later yeah. on, and they're like, and everything later on, yeah, buzz their memories. So I wonder if one of a couple of things is happening here. One, it occupies a much bigger part in our heads. Yeah, not because it was a huge deal to us. But because later on it was told to us that it was a huge deal, so we constructed our memories to reflect that. Well, okay. Or what as I'm... you said, your son has attention issues. Yeah. Well, yeah. One of the other. Um, I, think... I was, and because I, you, you were closer to your son's age when this came out, and that's not a dig on you. Yeah. I no. literally fell asleep when Vader came onto the screen and woke up at credits. 
because I was, it was 1980. So I was two years old. Yeah. So you were, you were just a, you were a youngin. Right. I thought Vader was a good guy. Okay. He showed up and then, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Everything was over. So, okay. Well, there you are. So So I wonder if, right. Right. So I wonder if five-year-olds were able to hang with it and really understand it back then too. I don't know about Mm five-year-olds. I will say six-year-olds. Okay. Because okay. I'm pretty sure I was six. Sure. Um, I know it was it was a big deal. It 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 had emotional impact to me. I think it if did. I had okay. been, if I had been nine or ten, it would mm-hmm. have been a holy shit, you know, kind of moment. Sure. It would have been okay. it would have been bigger because there would have been more. You would have remembered loading. seeing. I'd have remembered other stuff more too. clearly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it was, it was a moment. Now I didn't see it. I didn't see it first run. I saw it second run at the base movie theater at Miramar. So give me a year for that. So, well, it would have been, was that been just, uh, 80, yeah, probably 80, 81. Okay. Cause it came out in 80. Yeah. So So it was 80. Yeah. I think I saw it. I think I saw it summer of 81. Um, and yeah. Hmm. And then, and then Re- return of the Jedi sure. was a whole, was a whole other thing because that was 83. Yeah. I was that eight, one I have conscious memory of. Yeah. I was, I was eight years old. Um, and my dad had mm-hmm. gone to Hawaii ahead of us and I had not seen my father in several months. And on opening weekend, mm-hmm. uh, my mother and I, got in to see it in a theater in Poway. And that night on the news, we were watching uh, on TV as they were talking about, Oh, long lines at all the theaters and sure. You know, a bunch of people, you know, sold out shows and this, that, and the other thing. And we were like, what we, we didn't even, there was no line. We just walked in yeah, because we went to a theater in fucking Poway, which in 1983 was in the middle of nowhere in San Diego right, County. Right. But, um, and then, this was the first time I ever saw a movie more than once in the theater because then mm. a couple of literally like it couldn't have been more than two weeks later, uh, we were in Hawaii and my dad wanted to go see it. And so we went and saw it in the theater again as a family, the three of us. And yeah, okay. so. Because I remember seeing it and I remember the the scene where Luke is hiding underneath the uh, the stanchions. Or yeah, whatever they're yeah, called yeah. in the catwalk. Yeah, in the throne room. Yeah. Yeah. Where he's hiding and you've got the light playing and, and Vader is just taunting him and talking. And yeah. his sister, you know, and that whole yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that reveal. It, that one hit me. It's like, oh, you know, and and mm-hmm. yeah, that was cool. That was cool. And and that wasn't yeah. the reveal. I believe Luke revealed it to her on the on the bridge. You know, now that I think about it, there's a lot of similarly shaped walkways in that movie, particularly. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. whether built yeah, by and a lot of or built by the empire yeah and a lot um, of osha violations like everywhere yeah. oh yeah yeah, yeah um, like, you walk famous for violating yeah OSHA. for their yeah um but uh what do you <laughs> lack I mean, of they industrial don't have safety standard yeah i mean you saw that yeah. spit that they were putting han solo on it did not have a double vent um oh no oh so, the, yeah. no no the, don't get me started the on the kitchen that was crap was, yeah no yeah. yeah food handling safety oh not, my god oh yeah. lord yeah no hairnets f grade yeah exactly yeah. 
But uh, of course, what would a hairnet look like on an Ewok? A fishnet bodysuit? Like yes, how, how would you do that? It would be a hazmat suit. Yeah, with just their face poking out. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, um, yeah, I remember he he reveals it to her in the while she's wearing a dress that the Ewoks just happen to have in her size, lying which, around giant flag. Um, but yeah. Uh, do you know what happened to the last person that wore that? <laughs> yeah. You see the burn marks on it. Let's not let's not talk about it. Um, let's not. Yeah. Why does it smell like smoke and a bond? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so 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 at the beginning of, of Empire uh, yeah. this afternoon, evening, um my 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 wife's comment was, Okay, wait, this isn't the one with the Ewoks in it, is it? I said, No, that's the next one. She goes, Oh darn. I said, why? She says, the Ewoks are cute. I said, no, they're not. No, they're not. They're terrifying. They're murder bears. They're murder They're murder teddy bears. She says, yeah. well, yeah, but they're teddy bears. I said, no, no. And I told her about the the Ewok versus Stormtrooper mode. In, yes. Um, and I'm forgetting the name of the game. Battlefront 2. Yeah, Battlefront 2. <laughs> I was like, no, no, no. It's it's a survival horror mode. Yes. You, 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 she says, well, yeah, but they're cute. He's like, okay, cool. Yeah. But uh so I remember him revealing it, but I remember Luke's uh just breaking and and shouting and that that fight I remember very viscerally. Um, but I don't have conscious memory of the first time I saw uh Empire and 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 mm. New Hope, I was mm-hmm. in utero. So, yeah, well, yeah, as you're you know. fond of reminding us all the time. Well, yeah, I mean you weren't that old yeah. for it either. Like you might no, have been no, three, it wasn't no so I Producer George, deal. I think, was in college by that point. Yeah. <laughs> well, on his behalf, fuck right. you, man. Like, <laughs> wow. Like he listens. <laughs> okay. Well, I can't comment on that either way. Yeah. But um, so yeah, we okay. we we kept we we kept Shabbos. We mm-hmm. we you know kept it kept kept to the rules and good, good. and it was. It was a moment, but it was not the kind of moment that it might have been if he were older when he saw it. Okay. So interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, um, what do you got tonight? Because uh, well, I'm, I'm I've been. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, good yeah. that you are. Um, because finally, at long last, after I've after I've given everybody homework for months now. Oh, the um, NFT I'm episode. Gonna... Here we go. All right. Tell yeah. us which version of Board Ape you're selling. I I don't I don't fucking understand NFT any more than random dude off the street. Like no. so no. And and also you know fuck anybody who does just there to was, be, you know, just real quick opinionated was, about it. There was a guy at a show that I did recently. Um and he kept both of his feet on the stage, which is just rude. And he talked loudly. So I, he was either into his cups a bit or he's just this guy. And quite frankly, the combo could have been this. Yeah, I was um, going to say it could be both. But he spoke, you know, as though he belonged there. And I I was, you know, off stage for a small part of the show. And I messaged a friend of mine. I'm like, is this guy your friend? And she's like, eh, I mean, he came because I invited him, but uh, I don't think I'll invite him again. I was like, OK, cool, because. He he sounds like the kind of guy who would try to talk you into an NFT during sex, (laughs) which you know I have a way with words, and sometimes it just hits, you know. So Mm. yeah, yeah, 
Okay. Anyway, so you were you were gonna do yeah. stuff. Tell us stuff. Yeah. Do things. So I've been I've been giving everybody here homework for like you know a month over a month forever uh, because I've been saying I'm gonna do cyberpunk. I'm going to talk about cyberpunk and lo and behold, finally, I'm going to be talking about the genre of cyberpunk. So I'm going to learn you a thing. Um, and this, this ties into, uh, what we did with, um, friend of the show, uh, Beowulf and I'm forgetting his last name right now. Rockland. Yeah. Uh, when he talked about noir, Mm -hmm. um, like it, it, if I had piped up every time I was like, oh, hey, that's like name of cyberpunk thing, <laughs> we'd have been here forever because um, the even longer than we were because the the two genres are are spiritually and and thematically linked, even though the forces that were at work in creating them were very different. So. We've talked about Blade Runner. We have as its as its own thing, mm-hmm. and as I mentioned in those episodes, Philip K. Dick died in March of 1982 before Blade mm-hmm. Runner was released. Right, right. Um, it is it is truly a shame that he didn't live long enough to see what a cultural phenomenon the film became. Um, remember that that he he loved it, mm-hmm. saying that it captured visually exactly what he had pictured in his mind as he wrote Electric Sheep. Right. The floating neon lit billboards, a polyglot culture, environmental mm-hmm. collapse, uh, amoral corporate titans, and questions regarding the definition of humanity versus machine are all hallmarks of a genre of science fiction that Dick should be considered a founder of, which is to say, cyberpunk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But while Dick imagined the beginnings of the genre, its codifier has to be William Gibson. Okay. Now, Gibson started writing in the late 1970s, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I know at some point you're, you're going to want to ask, and so I'm going to cut this right off at the pass. He never mm-hmm. served in the Navy. He never served in any form <laughs> of the military. He had none of that kind of background. <laughs> His name doesn't start with H, so I didn't think. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, it's, it's adjacent, though, Gibson. Yes. But yeah. yeah. Um, but um, his youth and young adulthood... Um, I would call punk before punk was a recognized thing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he told his draft hearing panel uh, that he, and I quote, intended to sample every narcotic substance in existence. Wow. What did Those his father quotes. think? Because I know Buddy uh, Ibsen was, was very much of a different stripe there. Yeah, no. Gibson. No. Gibson. Oh. oh, Gibson. Okay. And, and yeah, um, his, not, his, his not related to Heinrich yeah, Gibson and buddy. Ibsen. No, 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 okay. no. Uh, his, his older brother, uh, Mel, mm. uh, and he did not see eye to eye at all. Okay. I would imagine uh, that would have been a Mel was, brother. Mel was much, uh, maybe yeah. I'm trying to remember how old Mel is, but yeah, no, not, not even related to, oh. to that Gibson. totally okay. different thing. But anyway, um, he got on a bus to Toronto a few days later, mm-hmm. but he never actually got drafted. So he d- didn't technically dodge the draft. He like preemptively dodged and nobody he had the ball. Preemptively. Yet. Well, he preemptively okay. dodged, but he basically told the draft board. Yeah, I'm a complete druggie. Right. right. And so he, he never got called up to service. Okay. Um, 
He was very heavily involved in the counterculture before and after moving to Canada. In the early 1970s, he supported himself and his young family by scouring Salvation Army stores for things that he could upsell to specialist collectors. Hmm. Like, give me an example. Um, they, like, like a my, my sources, motor, like like one like, of those, yeah, like, like old timey turntable type things, that, that kind, of kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. they didn't the the sources that I found didn't give specific examples, but he was he was he was doing upselling and upcycling. Okay. As a way of making a living before so, that was. So so far he is thing. thumbing authority in the eye. Yeah. He is, uh, by way of mentioning drugs, which at the time was, uh, is in terms of social zeitgeist, like, as a big no-no. Yeah. Um, he was, um, what was he? He was he was looking at the he was he was engaging in in capitalism in a very, um, grassroots kind of way. Yeah. And he was doing it in such a way that valued old things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, he got a bachelor's degree Mm -hmm. because he realized that he could maintain high college grades pretty easily and student aid packages were a source of income. Oh, back when, when when that was true. Yeah. Well, and this is Canada. Oh, okay. Right. He's in, he's in, he's in Toronto. So So keep that in mind too. How do you pay for healthcare? I mean, that's a huge drain on most people. I I don't, I don't fucking know. Oh man. Like it had to be a drag. Um, after getting his bachelor's, he considered getting a master's focusing on hard science fi- on quote, sorry, I need mm-hmm. to include the quotes here. <laughs> he considered getting a master's focusing on, and I quote, hard science fiction as fascist literature, close quotes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so cyberpunk is inherently dystopian. You don't right. get punk of any kind in a perfect world. Yeah. As uh, Jason B. Yes. Yes. And that's, and that's, that's become now one of like our, our taglines because it's it's just too good not to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's cyberpunk as a genre is built on the idea that utopia, that the utopian visions of early science fiction aren't ever going to happen. Okay. Like, like that's just not the way people are now. So this is different than the dystopian of, or, or the dystopian utopia of, they're going to happen, but at great cost. Yes, correct, okay. Okay. correct. So, it's so, not so and those Eloy. it's just that shit. Doesn't yeah, work. yeah, yeah. Okay. It's not Morlock and Eloy. It's not those who walk away from Omelas. It's it is, it's taking it's taking the kind of counter utopian idea of the new wave in science fiction and taking it one step further, which is no, it's just we're not going to get there. Okay, because because we suck. Okay. Basically, um, it has a, a pretty grim view of, of humanity as a gestalt. Uh, technology is going to be abused. Corporate structures and social structures are going to magnify problems rather than eliminate them. Okay. So he's predicting the future because I'm just thinking pretty about much. How, yeah. You know, we, we could have automation working really well. And instead oh, we're arguing as to whether or not a self checkout line will cost people jobs that don't that get the benefits anyway. It's really, it's, it's really starve still. Yeah. And, and, and like there was a, uh, a couple of friends of mine on, on Facebook, this is several years ago now, got into this like knockdown drag out argument over 
automation and the potential for automation technology to eliminate quote unquote bullshit jobs. Right. Like, like being a checkout clerk being, you know, the, the, the kind of stuff that's just soul sucking, doesn't require any creativity, does not give anything back to the person doing the work. You know, the only reason that people do it is because we live in a worker starved society. Yeah. Like, and and there's nothing there's that is not to take away from the dignity of a person working one of those jobs to feed yeah, themselves and or their family. Not at all. Not but, at all. But if we would just do right by everyone, yeah, we'd be working four hour days anyway. Yeah, much you know we we could have yeah. the Jetsons without the pollution, but y'all wanted we could, yeah Coca. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so Gibson. Specifically envisioned the sprawl as mm. his setting. It's a massive landscape of concrete, steel, neon, and desperate hustling poverty, uh, where sex workers, hackers, and con artists stare upward toward the gleaming, airy, high-rise homes of the incredibly wealthy. So Santa Monica, kind of, yeah. yeah, or or <laughs> several parts of the Bay Area. I could, really? oh yeah. <laughs> Oakland, I'm looking at you. Yeah. Um, like literally one side of the street, the opposite side of the street. Like, mm. holy shit. Anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, and within cyberpunk, uh, social and environmental collapse are consistent background elements. Okay. Okay. We we are not going to wind up using this technology to fix the world. The people who have access to the technology are going to wind up using it to cut out the rungs of the ladder underneath them. Ooh, I like that. Um, they're the phrase, not to, the concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, they're they're going to find ways to take this technology and use it to squeeze every dime out of out of the common pleb. Right. Um, they're going to they're going to find new and amusing ways to uh, create some new opiate of the masses out of it to keep people docile. You know, or or keep them struggling, like I said, hustling poverty. Right. You know, just in order to make ends meet, and the rich are going to get way richer. The middle class is going to completely disintegrate, and the poor are going to stay shitty poor. Right. Like, you know, they become the threat that you you unleash on the middle class. Should the middle class try to do something like in France? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You know, it's, um, it's funny you mentioned that, like, because I immediately went to, okay, what would that opiate be? And of course, there's drugs, um, and and I'm thinking and there's about so many drugs in cyber all the different waves like, we've had, right? But yeah. then I'm thinking it's entertainment, mm -hmm. and and I don't want to get too critical of reality TV or anything like that because, quite honestly, that's not the problem. The problem no. is the policies that cut out the social safety net. But that being said, mm -hmm. um. I was thinking about the zombie movies that I yeah. discussed a hundred years ago and <laughs> yeah. um, probably a hundred episodes ago. Uh, but yeah. in the zombie movies, if you remember the, um, the one where it's like the last Romero movie where the zombies become uh, conscious and active. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it's, it's very clearly a Marxist polemic. Um, one of the signs. Yeah. Uh, one of the signs <laughs> of this is a a decaying society was the stark division between the rich and the poor right because yeah. it was set in pittsburgh uh -huh. um and one of the first things that you see in the establishing shot is 
people in a cage fighting for the entertainment of others. Yep. And part of me is like, okay, well, that's like, now I, I look back at like my enjoyment of mixed martial arts. I'm like, ooh, ooh, not pro mm-hmm. wrestling because that's a different art. Yeah. Um, but because yeah. they're pretending. Yeah, that's 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 Commedia dell'arte. Yeah, but yeah. but with with suplexing. Right, but yeah. MMA. I'm just like, oh man, this. Oh. We were warned that this is a sign, and then it, I, yeah. I realized there was um, there there's a new TV show on TBS mm. called Slap slap fight or maximum slap or something like that and it's oh yeah the same guy who owns the ufc or uh-huh. runs it and it's just people slapping the shit out of each other yeah like oh yeah we've, we've really giving each other giving each other traumatic brain injuries doing it right which is i mean mma and boxing right. do the same thing yeah right? you're yeah. mortgaging your 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 noggin but like yeah. this one is literally you stand there and slap each other like it's such a reduction Oh yeah, it's no, such it's, a reduction. You know what it is. Mm. Um, and and after I make this comparison, there's another note I need to I need to make. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's ow my balls from idiocracy. Mm. It's it's just you know watching some guy get kicked or fall on his nuts or see that's know. that's like fail army stuff though. Like this is well, that that me? is slapstick. Honestly, that's okay. just rude slapstick. Whereas okay. this is, I mean, guys like <clears throat> okay. They they okay. muster themselves up and yeah, there's a science to slapping the shit out of each other now. Yeah. And and of course there is because it is a technique and stuff yeah, like that. Oh. But like I'm sitting there like thinking about that and going, okay, well, um this is like this is the opiate. <laughs> yeah. And all we're doing is watching men and women slap the shit out of each other, and you just see yeah. their faces like ballooning oh, up. swelling up yeah yeah no, it's it's and frightening it's just like to watch like when yeah. you think about what's actually physically going on and they they do the super slow-mo so it's i mean they're, they're hitting oh, all oh. the all the things mm-hmm. yeah and i kind of wish we would go back to drugs <laughs> really yeah i <laughs> you know i can't disagree with you on so, that. so um, in a cyberpunk like, I'm not even, world i'm not even gonna try yeah. yeah um and the other thing is that um friend of the show bishop o'connell pointed this out to me um in a in a conversation i don't remember how it is i i think i i referenced uh idiocracy about something mm-hmm. and uh, and his response was haha yeah that's funny you know i can't watch that movie anymore after i realized that it advocates for eugenics i was gonna say that i was we like need to oh, do that movie shit. with the eugenics lens yeah, yeah like we do. i'm i'm already writing Fuck. Yeah, I'm yeah. already doing the pre-research on it, to be honest. Um, oh, well, okay. There we go, so, then. So, <laughs> shit. Yeah. But so, yeah, it absolutely does advocate for eugenics. Yeah. And and so the 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 tone, mm-hmm. the the rather hopeless but we're going to ha-ha about it of of idiocracy is is adjacent to cyberpunk because it's mm-hmm. Like no, the future is not going to get better. The future is only going to get worse from here. Like right. all, all we have is to stand here, and like those of us who have the have the will or the cussedness or you know whatever the Nordic to genes, stand right. Yeah, well, fuck. <laughs> to, you know, <laughs> like yeah. All 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 we have is is to is to try some some level of Nietzschean trying to give meaning to shit in the face of the fact the world is is gonna go to shit like right you know 
Um, so, so one of the basic like legs of the tripod of cyberpunk is mm-hmm. utopia is is just not gonna happen. It's not even going to be a utopia for some people. It's going to be no. This is gonna suck. Okay. There are there are going to be people who are who are going to be on the top mm-hmm. of of the pile, and they're going to live like kings and queens, completely separated from the teeming masses. But it's still not even really going to be a utopia for them either, because when we encounter those characters, mm-hmm. usually, um, certainly in Gibson's work their concerns are so removed from from the 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 day-to-day sweat and blood of being human that Mm -hmm. they're like high elves their their experience is not even entirely human and so there's not a human experience anymore yeah there there they there is a loss of their humanity involved in that because of their isolation from the hoi polloi let me ask you this and feel yeah. free to tell me I'm 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 stepping too far forward. Okay. The people who are in that position, the yeah. ones who are the high elves, yes. are they the only ones that aren't cybernetically enhanced? Oh no, many of them are enhanced. Okay. Some some I way. Was, it was yeah, gonna depending... be depending Okay, it was gonna be interesting to me if they were the ones who weren't because they're the ones that are least human, despite the fact that their bodies would be the most. But okay, so that's that's, that's not a that is that is yeah. a theme that you can see in individual works okay okay but it's not an but as a part of the genre that's not necessarily a thing because there's there are some there are some cases in which uh they they stop being human entirely and they upload their consciousness as consciousness as yes Mm -hmm. uh to to a virtual realm sure and and like and and then there are other places where they're you know, they, they have, you know, they, they do uh, cybernetic augmentation for status. Okay. You know, they, they have, they have the gleaming platinum hand or, or the, you know, one, one, one eye that's been turned into a gold mirror kind of thing, you know? Okay. Yeah. But it's, yeah. it's so, yeah. Um, but that's, that could be a very potent metaphor. It would um, be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, but especially because you could then get into eugenics and racism and, and who is yeah. really a person. And I want to um, say it's altered carbon. Okay, it's altered carbon. Um, well, a friend of the show, it, Bishop, feel free to take up this this plot that I've just described. There you um, go. This motif. There you go. And yeah. uh, I only want five percent. So yeah. So there you go. Um, yeah, so there is there is one series. I want to say it's Altered Carbon, but I may be okay. remembering the title wrong. Um, but there is one Wait, series. That's a movie. Yeah, it was uh, that, actually that Netflix, a Netflix series. And that's that's a cyberpunk series. It's oh geez, okay. it's so cyberpunk should... it fucking hurts, man. I will take a look. Um, but in in Altered Carbon, mm-hmm. uh, in the in the very first season of the show, in the first novel um the the individual who hires the main character is so wealthy that he he does not have any he he only has the one augmentation that everybody in that society has and i'm not going to go into too much detail about it um but he only has the one augmentation literally everybody has uh but he's so wealthy that he has multiple clones of his own body oh okay uh, so if something happens to him, 
Sure. He has, LMDs. he has, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, um, and so he, he doesn't have any other art because he doesn't need them. Okay. So you're, um, what you're describing is the Gabriel Bell riots. You remember I, when we well, did the watch yeah. along? Yes. Um, yeah. I this, mean, that's, this is that's... where Dax ended up with, was with the, 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 Yes. Upper crust. Yes, with the with the uh cloud cuckoo lander, mm -hmm. you know, above the fray. Well, you know, we don't want to talk that's politics. We don't like right. That's a touchy subject, you know. We can agree oh, to disagree. Man. I know. wish we'd had this lens when we watched that. That would have been another another good thing to bring to it. Yeah, if I'd been if I'd been consciously thinking about it, it would have mm -hmm. been. But um so so first leg, we're never mm -hmm. gonna get to Utopia. Okay. Um Second leg, uh, cyberpunk distrusts authority. This is, this is very noir. Okay. The protagonists are outlaws or else they work in quasi legal or morally questionable spaces. Okay. 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 So there's your noir, mm -hmm. right? Mm, big now, time. Back to the utopia. Um, yeah. Are people trying to get there? Are people Depends refusing on the writer? to let go of the idea? Depends on the writer. Okay. Gibson in Gibson's case, um, for everybody who's above the red line uh -huh. to call it to give a name to the divide. Sure. Uh, for everybody who's above that line, they don't need to worry about creating utopia because hey, I got mine. Fuck you. Sure. And everybody below that line, consistently, his protagonists are motivated by getting their next score. And staying like okay, job. so they're not like they're not they're not in a position to try to start a revolution because everybody's just okay. hustling too hard to stay alive. Okay, so there's they're and they're not even aware that such a thing is possible. Like they, it just doesn't enter their consciousness. No, it doesn't come up. Oh, wow. it doesn't come up. Okay, uh, which... Gibson Gibson is okay. a cynic. Okay, <laughs> Gibson is really hardcore cynic. Like so, big time. they're not even looking to get you up and they're never even going to try to let you down no right no okay. and many of them will run around and hurt you naturally yeah you know yeah so um so as i was saying the protagonists I'm are, so proud are, of you. I'm are so proud yeah, of you. hey you know <laughs> uh they're operating in these quasi-legal or in some cases like not even quasi-legal like no 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 we're we're breaking the law like okay. Judas Priest, full on breaking the law, breaking the law. But it's not even like we're breaking a law and making a striking a blow for the common man. It's we're trying to oh, survive no. here too. Yeah, no, we're 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 going to break into this building to steal this thing from this corporate entity to sell to this other corporate entity so we can make rent. Well, I see why I you didn't know. ever like playing in this world. Yeah, there's no fucking heroes. Like, no thanks. No, not really. Yeah. Um. So the authorities uh -huh. in these settings work for the corporate elite and are not to be trusted. Oh my God. Are, and if I'm getting ahead of you, okay. please tell yeah, me, yeah, yeah, are yeah, we yeah. going to get into the Ravage 2099 series by Marvel? I don't have it in my notes, but we can okay. totally talk about it. Okay. Like, when when you get yeah. to like the, the mid nineties, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. please oh, yeah. tell me. Yeah, okay. we totally can. Yeah. Oh um, my God. That's, oh, that's wild. That's fucking yeah. wild. Yeah. Okay. So now okay. here's the yeah. thing: the cyberpunk RPG, which I recommended to folks to find find a PDF copy and read it. Right. And the only reason I recommend a PDF copy is because it's out of print. Sure. I want to support Artel Sorian Games and Mike Pondsmith in mm -hmm. everything he and they do because mm -hmm. they're they're awesome. 
Um, but uh, in the cyberpunk role-playing game, mm-hmm. uh, cyberpunk 2013, cyberpunk 2020, um, there's an interesting wrinkle because cop, and that's literally the name of it. Cop is a player character class. And okay. in that particular setting, the public police, you know, I, I work for the city government, not I'm a corporate, you know, private security cop. They are held up as a righteous set of public servants trying to resist a tide of corporate control. Okay. So, so naturally looking at this setting, the very first time I opened up the book, the very first PC I created was like, well, okay, I'm going to be a cop because this is the closest thing to a white hat I can see here. Now, this was, of course, in like 1990 when I was a sheltered suburban kid who didn't really know anything about the real world police. But well, and yeah, to sheltered anyway. suburban kids, the police can be heroes. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but it's interesting that like that's that's the the <laughs> that that's the way that particular uh die gets cast in 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 the setting is mm-hmm. well okay you're you're a government employee you're not working for a corporation and you're trying to resist the the corporations taking over your job and privatizing it and so that makes you a white hat you know um which i don't know i genuinely don't know what william gibson would think of that like i'd kind of be interested to be like okay bill can i call you bill um here's here's this game based on you know essentially the setting in this in this genre that you that you codified here's cops and and tell me <laughs> what do you think of this because mm-hmm. because you're a countercultural guy and you know so anyway um and and funny thing is in neuromancer which is gibson's first novel in this in this setting Mm -hmm. the protagonists the the team are operating so far outside the law that the police aren't even an issue they're they're operating on a level where like no no we don't need to worry about the cops before the like nobody's going to call the cops because they just have their own private goons who are going to make us disappear and so if this goes pear-shaped, right. jail is the last thing we need to worry about. Like, we'll be happy to go to jail if this falls apart because that means, you know, we're still alive and haven't had our brains taken out of our bodies and plugged into something, you know, as as punishment by the people we're trying to steal from, you know. Mm-hmm. Um so that's that's kind of how that how that falls down or or how that how that falls out Uh um and this is something that again shows up consistently throughout the literature in uh voice of the whirlwind uh that that main character is uh up against a conspiracy uh of of a whole bunch of people and he's doing all kinds of shadowy sketchy you know knife in the dark kind of shit and he never he he hardly worries about the police at all. Um, it's just it's just not really an issue. Um, and so this this operating outside the law is framed in a way that it's just the default setting, 
within within these kinds of stories for for a lot of this literature i can't say this universally but for a lot of this literature it's just no you're you're working you know your your day job for the call to adventure your day job involves you know probably some grinding you know bullshit job like i was talking about before Mm -hmm. and then in order to really pay the bills you're also you also have a side hustle that is either semi-legal or not at all legal right um you know and and most many or most of your uh daily transactions happen blank because you know trying to deal with the official economy there's barriers or you know uh uh it's just too expensive mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so next leg and it turns See, out this, this nothing isn't a tripod. about this nothing about this sounds like a video game that i would want to play okay like, i can like, understand that to, to know, each their own yeah, it yeah. just it and 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 here's why is that the there's an economy behind the economy. I don't I don't really like games that have much of an economy anyway. Um but also mm. there's no hero there. Like it is it is also gray as to be washed <laughs> out. Like there's Yeah. I don't know, there's no moral stance to take. There's no Yeah. Yeah. No, I I get it. I totally yeah. get it. Yeah. And anyway, that's Interesting that that's the point you bring up because the the mm-hmm. next item on the checklist is cyberpunk is morally ambiguous. But okay, it's I not mean, just that... an issue. It's not just okay. an issue of distrusting authority and everybody's operating quasi legally. It's it's morality is is ambiguous. Characters operate based on an internal code of morality that doesn't necessarily line up with what what you would see as a moral code in a situation where you're not scrambling to survive. Uh, we have anti-heroes predominating motivations are rarely, I'm not going to say never, but they are rarely altruistic or noble. Mm-hmm. Uh, bad things get done in order to stop worse things from happening. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> and, and the last tag we've already talked about this. This is one of the places where it's also very heavily influenced by noir. Right. Okay. Um, you know, um, I mean, really, what yeah. we're doing is deconstructing why Damien doesn't like uh, noir. Yeah, but we're, but we're doing it. Yeah, but we're <laughs> but we're doing it. But we're doing it with you know high tech and the inter- and and uh, the net, right? Apostrophe, you know, virtual reality, internet, right? Oh, and okay, and then last leg of the four legged stool. Cyberpunk also asks epistemological questions about humanity. Mm-hmm. When does one start or stop being human? See, so when now dealing... you're bringing me back. Okay. Now you're bringing so, me back. So, spoiler alert for a book that's, you know, 50 years, almost 50 years old. Sure. Um, well, 40 something. Anyway, um, in Neuromancer, the plot centers around the protagonists um, working to try to unify the two forcefully divided halves of an artificial intelligence's personality. Okay. Uh, Neuromancer and Wintermute. Um, yeah, I, I gave a spoiler mm-hmm. warning. So anyway, um, what, what they wind up figuring out is they have been the, the, the individual who actually hired them is Neuromancer. 
the the one half of this artificial intelligence that that got free and and has been moving around the net manipulating events uh to try to upload itself into the right server essentially mm-hmm. in order to reunite with its other half wintermute uh which lives quote unquote lives in a in a in a in an environment uh essentially in a, in a space station uh, in orbit, you know, around earth where the Tessier ash pool family run their corporate empire from it's a, it's a whole thing. Anyway, high elves, like I said. Right. Right. And so there's the question is like, is this artificial intelligence? Does, does this count as equivalent to human? Does this artificial intelligence have a soul? you know, Neuromancer could be said to be the soul of the intelligence of Wintermute. Oh, wow. Because, this because is, the, yeah. there's, there's the one half of the intelligence that is cold and calculating and, 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 you know, kept in this, in this cage. And then there is the half that has been running around with the Hoi Polloi in right. the net on earth. So anyway, so, and, and then in other places in the literature, you have characters uh, whether protagonists or antagonists who have themselves become partially machine and mm-hmm. where do we where do we start considering them more machine than man right twisted and evil right you get the, the you ship know. of theseus question yeah um how does our ability to change ourselves mm-hmm. affect our humanity when i can unplug a whole part of my body and plug in a whole other part of my body. And I give myself the ability to, uh, you know, stick a finger into a socket on a computer and throw my consciousness into a virtual environment. Am I still like, how does that, how does that affect me as a human? What, what does that do to my humanity? Were, were any of the original writers of this genre, um, stoned oh yeah no i was gonna oh, say sorry. i was gonna say disabled did any not of any of the original not any of the original ones but there there has been kind of sounds like it yeah it really does oh, yeah yeah because i would be very interested in seeing what a disabled person um or a person with with special needs or mm-hmm. uh, uh you know any number of 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 things that are not physically typical or neurotypical i would be interested in seeing their take on it because i'm just thinking about like people who depend on a motorized wheelchair to get Mm -hmm. around yeah they would not say that they're not human you know no indeed and they wouldn't be debating their humanity based on their dependence on that technology and i'm not saying you're advocating that but i know it it seems very it starts off as you know what it sounds like it sounds like Mm. really interesting 1800s philosophy Oh yeah. You know. Yeah. And and this is a good place to to note that this genre of fiction has gone on to inspire or very significantly affect the transhumanism movement. You know, in which there are scientists and engineers and uh, you know, medical types, I don't know the right term to use, medical engineers. Um and various medical scientists working on augmentation not Mm -hmm. not just well let's let's find out ways to 
uh, you know, uh, give abilities to people who are disabled in some way, but let's look at ways to hack our bodies Mm -hmm. in order to, uh, in in order to, to upgrade ourselves through, through implantation of tech of whatever kind. Um, that's so like, that's so interesting to me just because I think as soon as you said that, I immediately think of people getting laser surgery for their eyes. Yeah. And people getting breast augmentation surgery. Yeah. Like both of those are using surgical tech. Yep. To in their eyes mm-hmm. and in their breasts. Themselves. Yeah, to improve themselves to some yes. level. Or yeah. to bring themselves up to what they think is parity with somebody else. Yes. Um, and there's a whole conversation, sort of, mm-hmm. uh, or a whole a whole passage. Uh, in the the first cyberpunk role playing game rule book about let's talk about cyborgs. Your grandma has an artificial hip. She could be a cyborg, right? Every time you put in contact lenses, you're kind of making right. yourself a cyborg. Like there's Stephen Hawking. There's this whole conversation about it. Yeah, brilliant mind oh, was yeah. absolutely defined as a cyborg by most definitions. Yeah. Yep. Hundred percent. How much humanity do you have? You know, the yeah. answer is all of it. But uh, yeah, but his, but his, oh, man. but his... his experience of his humanity, right? And his his definition of what made him him would be different from those of us who are able bodied, right? From those of us who who did not have the experience of being reliant on and united with in that kind of way with a piece of technology which then brings me to the to the last bullet point under this heading which is how much of our personality is ours sure and and this goes back to uh talking about implanted memories from blade runner like if our personality is based on what we remember and we know that our memories can be manufactured mm-hmm how much of that, where, where do we draw the line of what is intrinsically us? How do we define what it means to have something that is intrinsically us? Take it the other way. If losing your memories is, if, if your memories are intrinsically you because they're yours, what happens when you get amnesia or aphasia, Mm -hmm. or if you get dementia, are you, at what point do you stop being intrinsically you? Yeah. And voice of the whirlwind Mm-hmm. One possibly one of my favorite novels um, in this genre and kind of in general. Um, and again, spoiler alert, if you haven't done your homework, because I know I recommended this one, um, the main character wakes up and he is a, he is a clone mm-hmm. who uh, has a set of memories that have been implanted on his brain that are his memories from, from the person who's, you know, he, he has, he has the same DNA as this person. This is, this is his body. Right. Mm-hmm. And so he looks in the mirror and he's like, oh yeah, no, I'm me. Right. Except the, uh, la- he, he went on an interstellar expedition mm-hmm. as a corporate soldier, got involved in a corporate war on an alien planet and he died 
I, I some span of years it's been a while since I read the book, but mm-hmm. several years passed between the last time he recorded his personality onto the tapes oh. and when he was actually killed. And wow. so one of the opening lines of the book is his therapist saying to him, okay, you have to accept the fact that the man who died is not you. Wow. And, and the whole motivation for the main character is him in the back of his head going, no, fuck you. I am him. Right. And I need to figure out what the hell happened. And somebody fucking murdered me and I'm going to figure out who did it and I'm going to make them fucking pay. Okay. And like he remembers being married, Mm -hmm. but his wife divorced him. Sure. And he has no memory of it at all. I mean, this this is also almost everything Paul Verhoeven directs in the transition from the '80s to the '90s, too. Kind of, yeah. You know, this is, <laughs> you know, which wrong. is interesting that he's playing yeah. with with memory and stuff like that because he he yeah. does that all the way up through Basic Instinct. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. But you know, and there's just I mean, you've got RoboCop, you've got Total Recall, yeah. you've got Basic Instinct, all of which deal with yeah, how much and, and you know, RoboCop, yeah. uh huh, intense like. Oh, it's, it's right this. there on the on the tin. It's cyberpunk, right. with with by the way a publicly employed cop as the hero, mm-hmm. fighting against a private corporation trying to take over the department. Yep, just saying. Yep. Uh, um, and then Total Recall mm-hmm. doesn't immediately like if you're not a a fanboy of the genre like I am, you look at Total Recall and you're and you don't immediately think cyberpunk. But it totally is. It oh, totally it absolutely is. is. Yeah. Um, you know, and so and so all of these kind of, you know, existence personality kind of questions are things that Cyberpunk winds up playing with. Mm-hmm. And so those those are our our bases of the the what what makes a work cyberpunk. Okay. The aesthetic is really important. But it's not critical. I would argue that if you have these elements, mm-hmm. it can be cyberpunk without having to necessarily look on the box like it is cyberpunk. Floating billboards, shit like that, right? People with implants. Yeah. Visible implants. Yeah. Visible just, implants. Yeah. I really, I, I'm sorry, but I keep okay. kind of flipping back to this. Know. You know, cyberpunk is a By kind of means. sci-fi, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Because. Uh, yeah. When you bring up like people, like you know, you, you can get enhanced, you know, this or that, right? And yeah, I mean, in in all honesty, like we're already there. We have laser surgery for our eyes. We have, you know, uh, human growth hormone. You know, you you. There's different ways <laughs> that yeah. you can yeah, bio cyberpunk, yeah, yeah biopunk, enhance your body. Exactly. A, a sub a subcategory a subcategory of cyberpunk is biopunk. Okay, so I posit this so... to you. If okay. you had a world in which a certain skin color put you at the top of the cast system. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Could a character pay money to get themselves literally reskinned and then pass amongst the higher cast system for a heist or whatever or, or what have you or just to, to live the good life? Um, You see where I'm going? Like... You know, sci-fi makes I, us look I have, ourselves, right? I have, yeah, yeah. I have, I have a really strong feeling that you're going to pull the rug out from under me with a joke. And if you are, I no, know what you're going to say. 
There's no okay, joke. Because because no you're because you're bringing all that up, and I'm thinking of the movie Soul Man. Oh Jesus uh, Christ! Yes, but like that's absolutely <laughs> the wrongest way to go. Uh, yeah, <laughs> not no, your no. fault. Um, they shouldn't have. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but no, no, there was a movie in the seventies. Come to think of it, Watermelon Man. Okay. Yeah, I'm not familiar there, with it, but okay. 1972, uh, Mario Van Peebles. Okay. And, no, no, his dad. Um, fuck, I forget his first name. And they might not be related, but I just assume people named Van Peebles are gonna be fucking related. Oh no, they they totally they totally are related. Oh, okay, cool. dad, so yeah. Mario Van Peebles' dad. Yeah. Directed it, and I forget who was in it. Okay. Um, but they had to okay. get a black makeup artist to come in and do the makeup to put a black man in whiteface for the entirety of the movie. And oh, it's okay. it's not quite it's not quite the sci-fi. It's what if you woke up one day and you were a different color, right? And oh wow, okay. And it's he wakes up as a black man. So it's it's a black actor. They put him in white face until he wakes up, and oh, then he's his okay. actual right. natural and skin then, color. Yeah, and then he ends like the, the ooh, it, that might be my recommendation. Um, even though it's not cyberpunk, okay. but essentially it is in yeah. 1972, a real attempt at looking at the caste system that we had going on in America. Luckily, we've learned and we've gotten better. And oh yeah, no, we're we in a fixed all that. Society. Yeah, no, yeah, because yeah, we because we elected. So it doesn't matter. A black right. man into the um, White House. So yeah, no, it, exactly. Like, and then an orange. Yeah, man, no, like, we're, we're yeah. Um, but you know, uh, I can't even, I can't even keep going on that with a, I know. With a string. It's just like, God damn it. Okay. But, but, um, I just, yeah. I, so there was a movie that did that, but it wasn't cyberpunky, but it was a fascinating no. look at it. But, it but was, if you add cyberpunk to yeah. it, like you said, uh, you, you get all kinds of, oh yeah, no, I watched the hell out of that. Yeah. One could be skin because that is our largest yeah. organ, you know? And oh, yeah. so I'm yeah, just, I'm wondering could. at that. And then another part of me was like, isn't, couldn't you also say then that having your protagonist have gender affirming care? Couldn't you tie, like, you see what I'm saying? Like, cause we're getting into mm, questions of identity. Yeah. Your yeah, true yeah. humanity, your true self. And yeah. I mean, obviously we're seeing, you know, the, the matrix could absolutely be this. Um, but it's more allegory than it is actually stating it. Um, yeah. You, know, you wake up, you go from green into blue, you know, stuff like that. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just thinking about the current milieu that we have. And there's so many mm-hmm. interesting places that cyberpunk could absolutely take us. Um, oh yeah. And, and yeah. that's kind of, kind of one of the things I'm, I'm going to. Okay. Gonna, uh, um, I appreciate while... your indulgence. Oh yeah, no, of course. Yeah. That's shit. It's seventy five percent of what we do here. Indulging me? Um, but yeah, <laughs> well, no, I mean tangents. Um, but so, <laughs> so the one of the other things that that you almost always see, certainly early on in mm-hmm. in cyberpunk, is um the very first imaginings of something like the internet uh mm. gibson first imagined the net with an apostrophe capital n-e-t a vr environment where hackers do literal battle with automated security programs sure um and even gibson was not quite there to really see 
the extent to which the internet and web 2.0 particularly were going to alter everything um you know the the extent to which like right now right now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you and i are having a conversation face to face despite being literally on opposite sides of an urban area. Right. Mm -hmm. And we're doing that because of a whole set of infrastructures. Like science fiction came up with the ideas of video phones forever ago. Yeah. But the way in which, but the way in which you and I are recording this and the way in which our audience is experiencing it, Right. Is something that science fiction authors missed out on. Nobody, nobody got it. Nobody saw this coming in the way that it happened. Right. Gibson and the genre of cyberpunk came closest to it. Okay. But the ubiquity of connected society, the ubiquity of connected culture Mm -hmm. the ability that we have to carry an object in our hand that does everything for us like yeah um we have we have one device that can give us directions to get where we want to go can uh help us we can we can buy tickets to go wherever to to an event yeah, and show up and just show the device to get in. Yeah, um, we carry like depending on depending on what kind of stuff you you have on your phone, you could conceivably now, as we're recording this, you could almost go without a wallet if you just have your phone. That's true. That's very true. Because because our entire society has become wired into the net, and everything is interconnected in that way. And Gibson figured out, okay, well, you can have computers talk to computers and computers are going to be really important, you know, to the people who are in power. Right. But the, but the, I don't want to say democratization. I don't want to say democratization because that has overtones. Popularization. Popularization and the availability Mm -hmm. is better. Uh, popularization and availability of access to that. He totally, he did not see coming. Like the the people who deal with the net are hackers. They are net runners. They are people who it's very, this this is their shtick. Right. Yeah. Um, and so he, he envisioned this and, and in the first and into the second generation of the genre, that was kind of the image that everybody had of the net simply because it had not become ubiquitous for everybody in the world yet. Okay. Um, and nobody, and, and, and nobody, I think saw the threshold of access dropping Mm -hmm. as low as it has. Sure. Like, I don't, I don't think anybody, anybody envisioned that it would become that relative to put things on the net or that it would become that easy for people who know nothing about operating a computer. Here we are. To create a web page. Yeah. You know, and, and, (laughs) called geekhistorytime.com. Yeah. You know, hi, how you doing? (laughs) Speaking of, I mean, I know a little bit about operating a computer, but not, not enough. Anyway. 
Um, and so, but but the net as it shows up in early cyberpunk is Gibson's baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not something. That's not something that that uh, Dick had anything to do with. He didn't envision anything like that. Uh, you'll notice there's there's no kind of internet anything net activity. None of that happens in Blade Runner. Um, because he he just didn't. It wasn't on his radar. Sure. Um, Gibson's stories treat cybernetics and man machine neural interfaces as background elements rather than the MacGuffin. Like in an earlier generation of story, if it was like, oh no, you can you can put on this helmet and and talk to the computer with your brain, right? Mm-hmm. In an, an earlier generation of story, that would be like, oh my God, we can't let the reptilons get a hold of this tech. You know, this is this is the MacGuffin for the whole story. This is this is a big deal. We, you know, this this is the thing. Right. Know? Um in in Gibson's world, no, this is just it's background noise. His first published short story is entitled Burning Chrome. Okay. Which like, oh my God, what a fucking title. But it's a it's a textbook example of the way he does this. Um in his first novel, Neuromancer, uh, which came out in eighty four. Um, and I've, I've already kind of ruined this, but again, the primary big idea is that it's an artificial intelligence manipulating the main characters in order to achieve its goals. But along the way, there's a former military officer with an artificial implanted personality. Like his, his whole, his whole consciousness and personality has been engineered by the AI and downloaded literally into his brain. Mm Mm-hmm. A thief who can project holograms using cybernetic implants. He can he can throw lasers out that intersect with each other to create illusions in the air. A freelance mercenary with metal eyes and razors implanted in her fingertips. A family of corporate aristocrats who spend time in cryo-hibernation aboard an orbital resort habitat. Okay. And the protagonist and, and the main character who's a hacker who maneuvers through VR cyberspace using a direct connection between his brain and his computer. And the way he gets roped into doing all of this is that mercenary I mentioned with the artificially implanted personality, which you don't find that out until the climax of the book. But anyway, uh, that mercenary shows up on his door and goes, Hey, uh, you know how you haven't been able to get on the net since uh, somebody, you know, literally damaged your nervous system. Mm-hmm. So now you can't get on the net anymore and you're forced to do all this, you know, side hustle shit. Yeah, no, I can fix that for you. But you need to do this job for me. And if you burn me, I will re-damage your nervous system worse. Oh, wow. So like, what do you want to do? Like, So exploiting yeah. the, uh, the, the handicapped, uh, the disabled, yeah. rather, pardon me, forgive yeah. me. Uh, yeah. Exploiting the, the disabled is still, still a theme. Okay. <laughs> well, it's 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 dangling it's dangling the carrot of I can I can I can cure you, but not so, only I can cure you, I can make you worse. But yeah, well, like, yeah. I I will hurt uh, but, you, but or the, but like, the threat, I will not leave you the, alone. The threat of yeah. Well, no the the threat is the the threat comes up if if you sign on and you burn me, I will fuck you even harder. But the main character did have the option to walk away at the beginning. Oh, okay, okay. And, and, and he didn't <laughs> because right. he, he, he literally, there's, there's moments where 
Gibson does a really good job of describing the environment of the net as being like a drug trip. Okay. Things are brighter and more intense and like, sure, it's sure. not something you want to give up. And he's been, he's been deprived of it. So, um, and where was I? Uh, the novel mm-hmm. Neuromancer is the first installment of the sprawl trilogy. So it's, it's Neuromancer count zero and Mona Lisa overdrive are the trilogy of the series. Okay. Now, Neuromancer is the only one of them to win the nip. It, it is the, sorry, not the only one of them. Neuromancer is the only novel to win the Nebula Award from the Science Fiction Writers Association of America, the Hugo Award from the World Science Fiction Society, and the Philip K. Dick Award for Best American Science Fiction Paperback of the Year. Which is worth noting because when when Gibson watched Blade Runner in the process of writing the book, mm-hmm. uh, he lamented uh, to friends that his own sprawl was going to be viewed as him him biting off of uh, Philip K. Dick. He was like, Crazy. I've been working on this. Yeah. Um, I've been writing this. Um, mm-hmm. This is this is what I have going on in my own head, but I'm going to put this out in the world and everybody's going to think that, oh, well, you know, you, clearly he just saw Blade Runner. Right. Uh, <laughs> and and he had to be talked into finishing the book because <laughs> he was like, well, shit, I back to square one. I got to come up with something all new. And they're like, no, 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 no. Keep I, going. I, His editor I, was like, whatever you do, don't know. I had that moment. Well, okay. So uh, we had recorded the G.I. Joe quadrilogy. Um, yes. And then about. Oh God, I don't remember how many weeks before it dropped. Um mm-hmm. the podcast, the the very and everybody should go listen to this podcast after hours. Um Barry had office about hours. yeah, uh yeah, what did I say? After oh yeah, yeah, office hours. You said office after hours. office hours. I apologize. Yeah. Um office hours, uh Barry had two episodes in which he went in depth into G.I. Joe cartoons. <laughs> I'm like, God damn it. Son of a bitch. The amount of people yeah, that, well, that we do listen to us, like months long, yeah, right. You know, and and yeah. so I was just like, oh man, like I, but I, I recorded it before I'd heard it, but we haven't released yeah. it yet, and it was really fun. Yeah. So that's yeah. So I understand this guy's yeah. reticence of like, I'm, oh I'm yeah, like, well, maybe I'll just hold on to these for a year. But, yeah, let yeah. everybody. Yeah, maybe. So, um. Yeah, I, I had a I had a similar experience. Um and I've of course never published anything, but back when I was in college I, I wrote all kinds of fantasy and science fiction stuff just in my spare time. And there was one series of stories that I was really, really like amped about writing. And um I I I was working on them and working on them, and then I'm trying to remember what year it was, because I like I said, I never finished anything i never got anything published but i i wound up i always kind of had in this in the back of my head i was like well you know someday when i have the time i'm going to go back and i'm going to do that and then one of my co-workers uh recommended uh that i pick up the harry dresden series by jim butcher mm-hmm. and i got like five pages into the first book and i was like son of a bitch well there's no point <laughs> in me ever finishing that because <laughs> god damn it and butcher did it way better than i did naturally but anyway 
yeah so i mean yeah if you're if you're a creative if you are at all in any way a creative type you've probably had that moment but yep. thankfully william gibson's editor talked him out of just burning the manuscript like no nice. no, no no finish it please and so when the book came out um it was not a runaway hit commercially but everybody in the science fiction writing community and like everybody was talking about it mm -hmm. and it catalyzed the explosion of the cyberpunk genre. So in the years immediately after that, we have Walter John Williams. Mm -hmm. uh, first novel was hardwired in 1986. Second novel, which I've recommended and, and is one of my favorites voice of the whirlwind in 1987. And then a third book in the same universe, uh, Solip system, 1989. Okay. Uh, another, um, kind of considered, considered one of the canon of the literature works is, uh, by George Alec Effinger, when gravity fails published mm -hmm. in 1986, which, uh, takes place, in um and a a middle eastern uh kind of uh morocco in in what's the movie i'm thinking of bogey um oh casablanca casablanca takes place in a in a casablanca kind of kind of setting uh has is is one of the first times that we really see um uh, a a a different cultural lens being brought in and applied to to the genre of cyberpunk um in 1988 we have bruce sterling um writing islands in the net mm -hmm. uh sterling was actually one of the first people who encouraged gibson to write fiction professionally uh he and gibson are very close friends they then collaborated on the difference engine in 1990 which is a seminal work in the steampunk genre, which takes many of the ideas out of cyberpunk and moves it into an imagined Victorian mm -hmm. setting um, rather than a futuristic one. Right. And it's, it's um, like fantastic technology, but with steam powered everything practically. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There's still crystals and, and maybe focusing lenses and shit like that, but by and large, it's 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 much um, sootier, if you will. Yes. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Um, in over the course of many years, uh, Rudy Rucker published the Wear Tetralogy. Uh, he started before Neuromancer, mm -hmm. uh, but Gibson's short stories predate Rucker's first novel. Um, and so I still give credit to Gibson. Um, sure. software is the first one of them. Uh, wetware is the next one. And the novels from wetware on undoubtedly got more attention than they might have otherwise mm -hmm. if Neuromancer had not been published. Okay. And like, if there are Rudy Rucker fans in the audience, prove me wrong. I, I invite you, you know, if, if I have, if I have deeply offended you, uh, you know, say something about it. Let me know. And so what we have going on, like at the time, all of this is happening. Um, just to give, you know, to, to now shift a little bit, 
we mm-hmm. we've talked about the the late seventies, early eighties. I mean, over and over and over again. Oh, of course. So we're you know kind of beating a dead horse with this, but you know, um, could you we just, could you imagine the boomer version of this show of like <laughs> it's just nothing but like the Gulf of Tonkin, uh, and oh, the yeah. assassination oh, yeah. of RFK. Yeah. Like it's yeah, just yeah, those two yeah. pillars, just just those two things over right. and over and over yeah. again. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, I can so clearly see it. Um, except uh, the boomer version of the show can't exist because they they can't figure out how to operate Zoom. Um, fair. Like you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> um, where that completely. I completely interrupted derailed you my train of thought. Yeah. yeah like, don't, don't worry about it. No. Um, so, but, but specifically the things that, the things that we can, we can look at here mm-hmm. are like, obviously, um, again, Gibson was, was coming at this from a very cynical punk disillusioned kind of frame of mind. Right. Again, very seventies so, and eighties of him. Very, very seventies and very early eighties. And so, you know, the draft, um, you know, which he, which he is, is very humble about. No, I, I didn't actually have the, have the stones to dodge the draft. I, I went to Canada, but they never actually tried to draft me. So I can't, I can't claim the moral high ground of being a draft dodger is kind of his, right. the way he characterizes it. So there's, there's an authenticity to him. And again, oh, question, yeah. questions of authenticity and hybrid authenticity kind of fit with what you're talking about here like yeah he didn't it, it's not that he necessarily didn't have the stones to do it he didn't have to so he's like hey i can't claim yeah. the high ground on that one because i yeah. didn't have to do it but i did tell them i'm doing all the drugs i can and i did go to <laughs> yeah. canada like i was ready yeah. but i didn't have to i was so yeah i was set to do it but it never came up yeah it's so interesting that he's not doing stolen valor uh to high to uh, about dodging the draft Whereas, oh yeah, there's so many people who did stolen valor about being in service. About. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think yeah, um, yeah. I had I had a thought about that, but it it flitted away as quickly as I had it. So maybe I'll come back to it. But yeah, like no, tears he among he, the raindrops. Yes, yes <laughs> like to, lost, like tears in rain. Um, and so we see. In the in the seventies, we see the beginnings mm-hmm. of mass consciousness of environmental issues. Right. In the seventies, we see we we see punk being born out of this disaffection. This, you know, the system is rigged. Fuck the system. Well, and a distaste and a, with outlook with bourgeois indulgent. Yeah um stuff too like oh oh yeah. cool you you claim very to be much a leftist but you're just gonna go and work for your parents anyway we're actually poor. yeah like you're yeah. you're a tourist yeah. here yeah so yeah i'm actually again, struggling oh hey yeah 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 um and the you also see a splintering and a fracturing though amongst um a lot of activism in the seventies that you didn't see in the sixties. You saw a lot of unity in the sixties, a lot of groups working together mm-hmm. and in the seventies. Yeah. 
I clearly can't rely that on you flies or apart. our leaders have been killed or, 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 and yeah. you see a splintering um, and a disaffection. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. And, and that, you know, we can't, we can't count on you. We can't count on anybody. Right. You know, that splintering and the, I don't want to say the failure of those movements, but from a from any number of points of view you could certainly look at you know what like okay well we got the we got the civil rights bill passed and we got this done and we got this done but everything still fucking sucks right you know and so from from a certain point of view <laughs> um it it would be it would be really easy to look at that and be like well okay like fuck this we can't rely on anybody none of this is none of this you know yes things have gotten better but they're not fixed mm -hmm. and at the same time that things have gotten better we've seen richard nixon get into power and immediately uh use every tool at his disposal to criminalize drugs and try to find a way to criminalize being against the Vietnam War. Right. Um, and we've seen corporate America completely back that play. Mm -hmm. And we've seen the Vietnam War being supported by corporate America because war is good for business. DuPont. War is well, a racket. Thank you, Smedley Butler. Famously, DuPont you had know. an ad on TV of a black veteran playing basketball on prosthetic legs that they had created because it's DuPont, right? But I'm pretty yeah. sure they're also the ones that like made a lot of defoliants. Um oh not just defoliants, yeah. napalm. Right. Napalm so, is a like, DuPont product. It's like, like ooh, like, yeah. So it was no, okay, no. it was napalm. No. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah there, there was there was I don't remember where the line came from, but it was like, you know, thank you, DuPont, as as you know. Napalm oh, is being dropped. Is being dropped. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, you yeah. know, yeah, you've got this. I, Corporations are absolutely benefiting heavily from these things. Oh. And yeah. painting themselves and, as the heroes. Oh, yeah. And and making themselves out to be the good guy. And and bourgeois society, the middle, the comfortable middle class and everybody above them mm -hmm. is either buying it hook, line, and sinker or is the ones peddling that line. Right. Like, you know, above, above again, the red line, right. they're the ones actively putting that story out. And, you know, between call it the red line and the green line, there's, you know, um, right. everybody buying the story and below the green line, you don't believe a word of it, but there's nothing you can fucking do about it. Sure. You know, and from the point of view of somebody who's making a living by finding stuff in Salvation Army stores and reselling it, mm -hmm. it's all a crock of shit, you know, and we're, we're never going to get to utopia. Uh, one, of, one of Gibson's short stories um, is not only a refutation of the idea that we're going to get to utopia, but um, a a scathing indictment of the vision of utopia that was offered by authors in the forties and fifties. Um, and I highly recommend anybody who, who hasn't read it, or even if you have read it, go back and reread it, see if you can find it anywhere online. 
the Gernsback Continuum. Named for Hugo Gernsback, who is the person for whom the Hugo Award is named. He was a seminal figure in in the beginnings of popular science fiction, uh, was an editor, was a was a very, very big deal, responsible for a lot of early authors getting their start. Big figure. Well, in Gibson's story, um, and it's it's a little bit surrealist, so it's kind of it's kind of hard to to boil down. But a photographer is traveling around the country, around North America, because I think he goes uh, in in the United States and Canada. But he's traveling around North America, and he's collecting, he's photographing uh, these places that are examples of uh, Art Deco and Bauhaus, you know, kind of semi futurist architecture. Mm-hmm. And as he's doing it, he starts having these these hallucinatory episodes, these visions, like he's looking into a parallel universe in which this future, this this in future occurs, and everybody he sees in that universe is tall and blonde and pretty and perfect. Sure. And he's horrified. And he can't escape it. And the and the and the punchline of the story is, uh, he's having a conversation. He's he's decided I'm running away from this project as fast as I can because I don't want to get sucked into this parallel universe. Oh my god! Mm-hmm. And I'm oversimplifying, and it's been a while since I read the story. But he's having a conversation with a flight attendant, who says, "Oh yeah, do we?" He shows some of his photographs to him. She goes, "Oh yeah, no, you know, isn't it a shame that you know the world never turned out the way they they you know envisioned that it would back then." And the main character's response is, thank God it didn't. And right. can I have another drink? You know, and so it's this, no, 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 there is there is lurking fascism here. There is ableism. There is like, yeah, this, this was a bad idea. Not only right. are we never going to get there, but, but we, we don't want to. Right. Like, thank God. That's, that's the bad place. Like, mm-hmm. holy shit. Right. Mm hmm. And so that level of, um, I mean, cynicism, I've said cynicism, but it's not just that it's, it's disillusionment Mm -hmm. with like, not only is, is the idea of utopia unreal, but the idea of utopia is toxic. Like we shouldn't be trying to build a utopia because like the new wave came up with the idea of, well, okay, how are we going to build utopia? And is it worth the price if people have to suffer to create it? What's the dark side of utopia going to be? This is taking that idea and going another step further in, in the late seventies, early eighties. And like looking at everything Reagan had to say and saying, yeah, bullshit, shining city on a hill. Fuck you. Who's, who's going to be living in that city? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like who right. who are you going to be excluding from that city because they don't fit your picture of the shining city on right. the hill right right um and 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 what mythic know, it, past are you going to draw on too yeah and and where where are you going to yeah what what are you going back to here right right and so it's it's reactive to all of that going on kind of all at once and 
so as we as we move on mm-hmm. uh through through the 80s um i i need to i need to mention a couple of a couple of japanese sources okay uh first uh dominion uh well i'm going to mention the author first masamune shirao is a really big role within the cyberpunk genre within manga uh, in 1985, 1986, uh, he wrote a series entitled Dominion, mm-hmm. uh, which is is about police officers again idealizing the the uh, virtuous uh, you know defenders of the independence of democratically elected you know governments, right? You know, dem- democratically democratically enforced or democratically decided upon social mores. Um, the, the tank police in dominion, uh, which is a fun series, well worth reading in Appleseed, uh, which ran from 1985 to 1989. Um, there is a utopia. He, he does, he does have an attempt at utopia. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the city state that the main characters are again, part of the paramilitary police force for, is designed to be a utopia right down to all of the functionaries who work for the city state are artificial humans. They are bioroids. Wow. They are, they are uh replicant. Basically they are replicants. Okay. And one of the things that the government does is because the rest of the world is recovering from a nuclear exchange that led to you know that that there was there's been societal collapse there's been all kinds of conflict whatever and the agents of this particular society whoever it was who founded the society has decided okay we're going to go and we're going to find people from all over the world we're going to bring them here mm-hmm. and we're going to reintegrate them into a civilized society we're going to have a social safety net we're going to do all these things okay and it's going to be you know, a mobile polyglot culture it's going to be you know all this stuff and the aesthetic is totally going to be solar punk it's bright it's sunny it's shiny all the time sure but but our police force and and we we don't have we don't have an army L- listen to the tone oh, of my voice God. when i say that we don't have a military um but our police force is going to be made up of former special forces soldiers from all of these other countries who have now been left stateless in the wake of world war three. And we are going to use them as necessary to defend our interests, which usually means we're going to be using them to do sketchy shit in the shadows to direct world politics in ways we want it to go. This sounds very Eric Prince. Kind of. Yeah. Like kind of, we're going to grab people and, basically you know hire them for cheap and then not let them leave the plane and then deploy them where we <laughs> want to and now they pretty much depend on us it's a little bit less that's what i'm looking for it's a little bit less kidnappy than that yeah yeah um, it, it sounds more generous and, but and, functionally and, it's very similar yeah yeah, and Shiro is very much writing it as uh yeah, no, this this is not this looks like a utopia, but it's it's really not. Like we're not we're not actually gonna have a utopia. There's there's still gonna be sketchy shit going on. Well, and this is someone um, for whom like either he or his parents in living memory would have had the American occupation where yeah. 
you know, we had to bomb the shit out of you first, and now you have this utopia. And while there is commercial yeah. success and the rebuild has been successful, at what mm-hmm. cost? And you've got, yeah. you know, yeah, you've got all this shit going on. So, oh, yeah. you know, you, yeah. you, it's, it's and... not upselling from a thrift store, but clearly look (laughs) what's in the air for him yeah oh yeah and and in appleseed one of the two main main characters one of the two protagonists is a full conversion cyborg he is a brain and Mm -hmm. a semi semi organic support system for that brain in a robot body and he he has uh, the ability to link up because because of his you know because of his full conversion cyborg body he has the ability to link up to multiple machines at once and control them which is why okay. his model of his model of cyborg body is referred to as uh, hecatonkeres taken from the name for the Greek Titans the many handed ones oh okay the hundred handed and or... yeah the hundred handed ones there yeah. we go. Yes, the hundred-handed ones, um, and that's Briareus. And then, um, and I just completely flaked on the name of the other main character, which is, sucks because she was awesome. And damn it, I'm gonna have to look it up later. But um, the other main character is a is a entirely human. Mm-hmm. Uh, she doesn't have any cybernetic uh, uh, qualities, but she is um, a like Briarius is, she's a, a former special forces operative um, who uh, has, has she's, she's really actually the one of the two of them who frequently she's less, uh, she's the hot headed one. She's, she's the one that, you know, flies off the handle, has trouble following, following orders. Sure. You know. Sure. Um, and she does most of her work in what's called a landmate which is basically think like a battle mech only it's 10 feet tall rather than 30 feet tall. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's like, it's like a power suit plus plus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, they get into all kinds of, you know, uh, counterterrorism. Uh, they're, they're usually put in the usually, uh, the two main characters are are almost always put in the position of stopping somebody else from doing something horrible, but they have to do it in the shadows and their very involvement is like violation of international law most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are other characters who are deuteragonists or, or, you know, supporting characters who are regularly doing stuff that no, 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 you're, you're actually being sent off to assassinate somebody like, right. Not, like you're you're breaking into an embassy in a foreign country and stealing shit like this is bad right um and so that's that's appleseed and for a whole host of reasons i highly recommend reading it because it's amazing and then what masamone shirao is most known for uh here in the united states is mm-hmm. a ghost in the shell okay yeah, which that's... he yeah, which is uh, in in the case of the manga is early nineties, uh, started in nineteen ninety one, and in that, uh, the main character, uh, Major Kusanagi, mm-hmm. is a again a full conversion cyborg. She is a brain in a robot body, 
right. the fingers um, like quadruple articulate or whatnot. That's other people. Oh, hers, okay. hers in the manga anyway. Hers don't do that, but you see um, government functionaries who have cyborg bodies where they can type at you know three hundred words a minute because right. their their fingers break up you know and they can they can do that. Um, and that that's government... kind of the background. Go ahead. I was gonna say that government functionary thing being all cyborg. Um, in 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 his his he's brought you brought this up twice now in his works right yeah right okay. um kind of just gets at the dehumanization um that we do toward the bureaucracy because of the dehumanization mm-hmm. it does toward us the DMV is a punchline yeah. to us the people who work there are merely props <laughs> to that building and yeah. you know they act in a certain way and it just it's it's really interesting that like again you know we were talking most... about oh we were talking about the automation aspect of of work yeah. and and uh-huh. the people who yeah. do it you know I, I we don't mean to dehumanize mm-hmm. them we're just saying that like if we can automate it shouldn't we release people to do bad poetry and get high and stay on the couch <laughs> and still feed them yeah and, and still so, still yeah not not force them into homelessness yeah right and so I it's just it interesting, interesting that the 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 civil service is what yeah this author keeps dehumanizing on purpose um which is an american creation yeah. on some levels because yeah. we redid their government oh yeah well so. we we did redo their government i'm going to say that it's not just us redoing their government though. Um, there's a case to be made that this is also a Confucianist thing. Okay. Yeah. Um, that, that, you know, the, the, you know, strict hierarchy and the, and the, and the, the, the very much, uh, order, order above all kind of, kind of framework that, that surrounds that in an Asian context is, is also a thing is also part of that. I'm not going to say it's not at all us having gone in and gone, okay, now your whole government, we're, we're, we're going right. to, we're going to go through your entire government. Anybody who we don't think is good, we're going to fire and we're going to put other people in here. And, you know, by the way, you, you need to now, you know, adopt this, this set of ideals regarding parliamentary democracy and, and all of this. Like, yes, that's, that's definitely a thing there, but there's also the underlying, like the continuity of culture within those structures was, was there beforehand. Mm-hmm. If that, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and from your mention of the DMV, I find it interesting that the most humanizing depiction I've seen in my adult life of the DMV uh, is in Zootopia. I was going to say, I bet you it's when, <laughs> when, yep. when, when, you know, we, we actually have a little bit of sort of character background development between two of the employees. Right. And, and like, and they're joy. literally not. Yeah. They're literally not human. Right. And yet that's the most humanized <laughs> trail I've seen of a DMV functionary on screen, I think, ever in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I do not disagree. You know. 
Um, <laughs> so, um, Ghost in the Shell again. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Appleseed with with Briarius, a, a, a cyborg, being one of the one of the main protagonists. Uh, Appleseed gets into some questions of you know who's human, who's not. How do mm-hmm. we define that? Uh, multiple supporting characters are, like I said, essentially replicants. They're bioroids. Uh, and, and, you know, they have character arcs, they have development, they, they are treated in day-to-day life as human. Sure. Except in a couple of places where it becomes important to the plot that, you know, everybody's aware that, well, you know, you were, you, you don't really have a mother, you were grown in a tube and then raised, in a crash of other, you know, bioroids, mm-hmm. you know, um, and you know, uh, th- there, there comes up an issue where the DNA code of one of them is part of a key that has to unlock something anyway. But like, un- until it becomes a plot point, they're treated as just as human as everybody else, but everybody also knows they're not true born human to borrow a phrase from the dark Eldar and Warhammer 40 K, which, like makes me feel icky but like you know they're they're bioroids mm-hmm. um and so those 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 issues are there those issues are brought up that's part of the storyline but in ghost in the shell shira really goes hard into questions of our our memories and our personality and our identity being a thing literally the ghost in the shell right um one of one of the main plot points within the series is that um if you put your body your brain into a cybernetic body uh you get all of these physical advantages there's all this wonderful amazing shit you can do but it also means that anybody who's a good enough hacker can literally hack your brain. Right. And so then you get into and, issues of, of autonomy. Yes. Not just humanity, but autonomy yes. now and the violation thereof. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and there's in the, in the film, in the, in the animated film for ghost in the shell at, mm-hmm part of the climax of the film there's this moment where major kusanagi is in in the middle of a of a conflict that is she's in a physical fight but there's also like a digital consciousness fight kind of going on at the same time she has to get to a place to to you know deal with that the setting in which that takes place is this this gigantic circular room and on one of the walls two or three stories high is this artistic depiction of the tree of evolution okay and and it's 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 really heavy-handed but it's also really brilliant sure um where she's essentially uh, trying to, and I'm, I'm trying to remember what the what the ultimate end game is, but she's she's locked in this struggle that has to do with a a hacker, um, obliterating the autonomy of millions of people. Right, and and it's this question of you know evolution, and 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 the hacker has this very 
highfalutin, you know, uh, science fiction madman kind of kind of you know post human evolution kind of justification for what they're doing, mm. and so you know it's 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 this brilliantly done moment that just really you know puts a pin in you know the these concepts of humanity post humanity evolution identity definition of uh, you know all this ep- epistemological kind of issues. Mm-hmm. And so, crucially important, uh, partly because of of you know dealing with these questions in this genre or this this uh, format, mm-hmm. I guess not genre because we're talking about the subgenre, but in the format of manga and animation, and also important because since this was in the format of manga and animation there was a whole new direction of influence Mm -hmm. that that then had because people who might not have been reading literary cyberpunk saw this work because they're anime fans. Right. And then that spun off in those directions. And another, another artist in this, in this category, uh, Toshimichi Suzuki. Mm hmm. Um, is responsible for Bubblegum Crisis and AD Police. Hmm? What was this? I said, I think I've heard of Bubblegum Crisis. What was the other yeah. one? Uh, AD Police, which is a okay. spinoff of Bubblegum Crisis. And Bubblegum Crisis is built around the idea of a gigantic corporation. Um, there's, there's, uh, environmental collapse. You know sure. all all the stuff that that happens at the outset of these to create the dystopia we're living in, or 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 catalyze the dystopia we're living in, mm-hmm. and then the Genom Corporation, uh, which the name Genom, according to Suzuki, is uh, inspired partially by the word genome. Mm-hmm. So the Genom Corporation uh, develops uh, uh, boomers, which are which are robots. Uh, and they're they're essentially they're like replicants only only many of them look more robot like. They come up with these artificial life semi sort of life forms uh, that in order to achieve a human level of intelligence, they the their their circuitry their their hardware is semi biological, and and. Okay is chemical as well as physical. And that's an important plot point because when you stress a boomer by forcing it to do something outside of its programming, by working it too hard, by doing all of these things. Now, wait, this isn't a generational uh, uh, discussion. This is something from the book. This is, this is, yeah, this is, this is entire kind of boomer. Yeah, different, totally different kind of boomer. Um, and he he again, Suzuki used the word boomer, uh, not in any kind of connection to the idea of baby boomers, because on on that side of the Pacific, that wasn't a phrase. Um, and and on this side of the Pacific, it had not picked up the connotations it has as you and I are talking about it. Sure. Um, but he was using it as uh one like on on multiple works on multiple levels boomers are they make a lot of noise 
uh, they are part of a boom of of population growth. They and they they came out of nothing and became this huge workforce. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's kind of where Boomer in this context, why he used that term. Okay. And so, what winds up happening is these these artificial robots, semi-human, semi-quasi-human robots, uh, wind up becoming the the low-level workforce. Uh, in in the case of Bubblegum Crisis in that universe, there's a massive earthquake that levels a huge portion of the Kanto region of Japan. Mm-hmm. And Ginom Corporation shows up and says, "All right, well, we have we have the workers to rebuild. We will we will sell everybody a boomer, and they'll go out and they'll do this work." Well, when you overwork a boomer or you force it to do something it's not programmed to do, so there are models of boomer. It should be mentioned at this point that are human looking, and one of the things that you can get a boomer to do is be your secretary. Okay. And there are other models of Boomer, much like Pris in um, Blade Runner, who are specifically built in order to be robot sex workers. Right. Well, if you take a secretary Boomer and you try to push it into the job of being a sex worker, that's not what it was, what she was built to do. Mm -hmm. And so eventually that can lead to Boomer psychosis. At which point the boomer goes berserk and now you have someone or something that is, depending on how you want to define it, who is much stronger than a normal human, faster than a normal human, and is completely batshit crazy and violent. And so um, the protagonists of Bubblegum Crisis are a team of uh, women, a trio Mm -hmm. of women who uh, use essentially it's like an Iron Man suit uh, to defend people against the, the rampages of boomers who've gone out of control. Mm -hmm. And while they're doing that, they are also busy trying to investigate and work their way up to finding out all of the chicanery that the Guinam corporation has done because the Guinness Corporation has known all along that this is a problem, but they've told everybody, oh, you know, no, this is perfectly safe. You don't need to worry about this. And so there's there's multiple levels of of what they're doing. The the action sequences are generated by, you know, Boomer goes psycho psycho and, and they have to go off and fight it. But there's also this, they are constantly being dogged by agents of Genom, and individual stories have to do with um you know, there's there's one in which a pair of boomers escape from the colony on Luna on the moon. And, you know, the the boomers in that story are very explicitly humanized. We we as the audience empathize very strongly with them. And then the main characters are put in a position of having to protect people against them or protect people from them in the end. And the main characters have the conflict have have faced the internal conflict of you know they're they're they've been they've been literally broken by these experiences but now we have to defend people from what has happened because of this and the villain 
isn't the boomers in this case. The villain is Genom Corporation, if that makes sense. It does. It does. And then the AD Police series is a spinoff from Bubblegum Crisis, which focuses on the uh, essentially the SWAT team of the Tokyo Kanto Police Department who who have to who get called in and have to act as the police dealing with these incidents and like one of the episodes of ad police involves one of their number um being hideously horribly injured Mm -hmm. and being turned into a full conversion cyborg and going mad himself right it it would (laughs) you know fallen to that level yeah and level yeah yeah so so again this is important again because this is these these ideas and these questions there's a little bit of cross-pollination in bubblegum crisis with a superhero genre um and and then there's the fact that again this is anime mm-hmm. and manga and people who normally wouldn't have been exposed to the genre get exposed to the genre of cyberpunk through this source okay so now we're getting into the 1990s and I know that you wanted to come back around. Oh yeah. Um, next, I'm, next, I'm going to get talking about Neil Stevenson in in '93 and '95. So okay. Um, well, this seems like an actual good breaking off point. I yeah. So I think so. I think so. so. Why don't you? Uh, why don't we go go through that? Um, do your Neil Stevenson uh, in the next episode and then okay. uh, bring yeah. back the the comic series that I was going to talk about. Okay. Yeah, so. that works. Okay, cool. Okay, cool, cool. Cool. Well, uh, what are you recommending for people to read or watch or consume? Um, I'm going to very, very strongly recommend uh, the the Netflix series of Altered Carbon. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, because... It does a lot of things uh, mm-hmm. in in the genre. Um, it's it's firmly rooted in cyberpunk, but it plays around. It plays it very explicitly plays around with um, race and ethnicity as a thing, uh, because the main character, his his consciousness is in his identity. He is um, Asian, but the body he starts the story in is a white man. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's a thing. Um, and on top of that, it, it's, it's just, a, it's a really good, it's a really, really, really good work. So very highly yeah. recommended. All right. How about you? Uh, this, uh, this episode, I'm going to actually recommend a, a movie called Advantageous. I believe it's streaming still on Netflix and uh, Amazon. I know that it's also probably on Roku and, and Paramount. Um, okay. But uh, it's called Advantageous, and it's essentially, it's a near future. Um, and uh, you've got economic hardship, mm-hmm. lots of uh, opulent wealth, and it's a mother-daughter story, and it comes down to essentially, do you get um, essentially implant surgery uh, to... to give your family an advantage um as things are destabilizing and uh it's actually directed by a friend of mine um jen pong 
um, okay. who has directed a number of like sci-fi TV shows, okay, um, and and such like that. Uh, she's she's directed, uh, she's um, uh, an episode of The Boys, uh, some stuff of Star Girl, Foundation, um, Agents of Shield. Oh um, wow! Yeah, Cloak and Dagger, Quantico, um, The Expanse. Okay. You may have heard. Uh, yeah. Um, Riverdale. She's she's directed episodes of a lot of things. Um, and uh, so anyway, um, it it uh, advantageous won a jury prize at Sundance in 2015. Um, oh wow! And uh, yeah, Damn. it was so cool, cool. it's uh, yeah, it's 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 a good film. Uh, right. I highly recommend it. Um, it's only an hour and a half long. It's pretty short, and it was it's remarkable. Like when you watch it, remember that it was done on a very tight budget. Okay. Um, and it does not seem like that. You're like, this was done on a very tight, like it's, it's, it's really good. All right. So yeah. Awesome. Anyway, that's what I recommend. Very um, cool. cool. Uh, do you want to be found or no? I do not want to be found. I'm, I'm going to find a corner of the net, tuck myself away there. Fair point. Don't come, don't come looking for me because the ice is thick. Sure. Sure. Just saying. Well, let's see. Um, you can find me probably by the time this airs, aim for the August 4th Capital Punishment Show. <laughs> Um, if not that, then the September 8th Capital Punishment Show. Yeah. Um, so you can find me there. Uh, where can we, we be found collectively? Collectively? Uh, well, you've already found us somewhere. So you already mm. know at least one of the places we can be found. But uh, we are available on the Apple Podcast app and on Stitcher. Uh, our website is wubbawubbawubbageekhistorytime.com. Uh, we can be found on Twitter collectively again as geek history time and that's it you've already said where you can be found yeah oh uh both of those shows so. will be at luna's in sacramento at 8 p.m all right so, there we go there you go uh cool Perfect. well for a geek history of time i am the the third clone of damian harmony and i'm ed blaylock and until next time keep rolling 20s